You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. If you have a Bible, if you guys could turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20. Last week, we began a series called Discovering God, where we're looking at the attributes of God. And we said this. We said an attribute of God is any term that adequately completes the sentence, God is. An attribute of God is any term that adequately and truthfully completes the sentence, God is. Last week we started with God is love. I want to add to this what A.W. Tozer said. He said, an attribute is something which God has declared to be true of himself. An attribute of God, a characteristic of God, who God is, is something in which God has declared to be true of himself. Now I say that. And I add that because an attribute, the attribute that we'll be talking about today might not seem like an attribute of God. At least it might not seem like an attractive attribute of God, not a fitting attribute of God. This attribute that we're going to be talking about today makes God seem a bit primitive. But it is true about God. If for no other reason than God has declared it to be true of himself. If for no other reason, even if we might not fully grasp this attribute, we might not even fully agree with this attribute. It is true. We cannot change the verbiage. We cannot change the language. We cannot change the fact that God has declared this attribute to be true of himself. The attribute that we'll be talking about today is God is jealous. Now, last week I said... I told you that I love going through books of the Bible with you. I love when we went through Genesis, and I felt like together we were understanding what Genesis was meaning, and, and as it opens up, and, it, and a lot of us had a lot of these questions, especially Genesis 1 and 2, like, how, how old is the earth? Like, all these questions in Genesis, how Genesis approaches these very great questions, and sometimes not even answering the questions that we ask of the text, and we were discovering it together. It was awesome. Went through Mark, and that was really fun a couple of years ago. Some parts of Colossians we went through. And what we have, when we went through all of these books, we were like, we were understanding them and they're great. And what I told you last week was this series is, is, just, is just so hard because you can't get the attributes of God. You can't really come to understand them. The story arc of my preparation has been something like this. I start studying on the attribute and I'm super stoked. I'm like, this attribute is like the best attribute of God. This is like amazing. This is great. And then it's despair. I'm like, who really knows what this means anyway? I can't ever preach this. I don't even know. I don't really think I grasp this. How can I communicate this? And then I, my mind does all these. If I say that, then that's true. But that's not true. But this is true. And, all the, and I get so confused. And then I come out of like, okay, I surrender. I, I might not understand it completely, but at least the wonder of it's there. This morning, I'm stuck in the desperation, and I'm heading to wonder on this attribute. By fourth service, maybe I'll get to wonder. But right now... Last service, this service, this has been desperation almost. Like, I, it's, this attribute is so hard to understand. There's so much nuance wrapped up in this idea of, the, of jealousy. So let's look at this, and this is how I want to look at it today. The problem of jealousy, and there is a problem, especially with that word, 
The point of jealousy, what is the point of it? Why is God jealous? And the power of it. What does it do? The problem, the point, and the power. Let's look at Exodus chapter 20. We'll launch from here. By the way, if there's something, if you're new today, and there's a lot of questions that this brings up, allow me to ask you this. Go back and listen to last week's sermon, God is Love. And then stick with us for the next several weeks as we explore all the attributes. You can't just get one attribute of God and go, oh, I figured God out. He has all the attributes at the same time. Okay, so if you're new, you're like coming in and you're just trying to build a framework of who God is. And we start with God is jealous. You might be going, I am so confused. Go back and listen to that last, last week's sermon. And it's online. And um, also stick with us for the remainder of the series. Let's start with a very familiar passage, Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, on the Ten Commandments. Verse 2, God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you, this is who he is, I'm the Lord your God, and this is what I've done. I've brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He's brought freedom. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make up for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Why? For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Let's start from that text. Let's pray. I thank you. I thank you for your powerful word, your presence that is among us, that's with us right now as I believe in in faith, God. And God, I pray that, that you would help us today, help me today speak rightly about who you are, God. I ask that you would use me, anoint me. I need your help to communicate who you are, God, because who can know God and who can know the mind of God? But you've revealed it to us by your spirit. So I pray that that would happen as I speak to people's ears. You would confirm and speak to people's hearts. And Lord, I pray that today, all day today, not to us, as the psalmist said, not to us, but to your name be the glory. I pray that not one person receive glory, not, church, not, not any one church, not, not, not anyone on this stage, but God, you would receive glory. You are jealous for your name. It's a name above every other name. And it's in that name I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So how can God be jealous? How can God be a jealous God? Jealousy is such a troublesome emotion. It invokes the idea of fearful, uh, this fearful, insecure husband wearing a wife beater, drinking a Coors Light, domineering, who who is needlessly suspicious of human rivalry in any form. And then as a horrific result, abuses his wife because of his jealousy, whether verbally or even physically. Jealousy is a vice. It's one of the most cancerous vices that there is. It leads to all sorts of suspicion, anger, outbursts of rage. You might have suffered or may be suffering from jealousy. You may have dated someone or maybe even married to someone who's jealous. 
You may have experienced it third person. No, maybe someone that's, that, that you've, uh, you've roommated with or someone you know that is extremely jealous and how it's cancerous and how it ruins all of their relationships. And you look at them in the face, you're like, stop being jealous. Stop being paranoid. What's wrong with you? Jealousy is a vice. In secular literature, jealousy is often seen as the main cause of wife abuse and is generally a destructive, primitive emotion for God to demonstrate. It might be the God of the Old Testament. It surely is not the God of the New Testament. It's a very primitive attribute. We have to get rid of it. God is not jealous. Jealousy is primarily seen as the result of personal and relational insecurity. You're jealous because you're insecure. The person jealous is afraid that they're not enough. And they don't want the other to leave for something better. They don't want them to find something better. They don't want them to experience something better. And so they're jealous that they might lose. And so jealousy comes out of this insecurity. If you've ever known someone who's jealous, if you've ever felt jealous, it's like I'm losing something that I want. And so I have to, with everything in me, be jealous and like manipulative to keep what I have. So when we say that God is jealous, it makes it seem as if God is insecure. God's like, oh, don't, don't, don't go find another God. Please don't go out there and find someone else that's better than me. Or he's territorial. You see why it's so hard for us to ascribe this attribute to God. Actually, I, I, it's, it's really hard to even find people that have written on this subject or have, have spoken on this subject. It's, it's a hard attribute to understand of God. If we were making God up, we would ascribe to God only attributes that we admired. God is love, yes. God is beautiful, uh-huh. God is lovely and happy and powerful and kind. Those are the qualities that we would ascribe to a God if we made him up. And jealousy would not be one of them. No one dreams up a jealous God. And how can it be a virtue in God when it's a vice in us? You may know people that are jealous and know what it does to them, how it brings irrational fear, how it brings paranoia, how, how, how paranoid it makes someone, how angry and ruthless it makes them. You may have had a parent that was jealous, maybe your dad, jealous of your mom. Maybe you've dated someone who's extremely jealous. Or maybe you're jealous, you know what it does, it turns you like into the Hulk. And they've called jealous this green-eyed monster, this green monster. You're green with jealousy. You're green with envy, which is a part of jealousy. And it turns you into someone that you're not. It's cancerous and it poisons all your relationship. Who wants this kind of God? God is love, absolutely, yes. But God is jealous? We want to leave that one behind. are, Are you starting to see the problem with God being a jealous God? But there's even a bigger problem still than that problem. The bigger problem is this. God calls himself jealous. And not just once in some obscure passage in the Bible. It's like tucked away in like this obscure part of Isaiah or some weird minor prophet. It's actually right in the Ten Commandments. Like when you hang the Ten Commandments on your wall. Like I know a lot of you guys do that. (laughs) It's right there in the Ten Commandments. It's like the thing the Bible is known for. I, the Lord, why am I giving you these commandments? Why do you, are you not to have any other God before me? Why are you not supposed to make any other graven or carved image? Why, why, why? 
For because the Lord your God is a jealous God. It's right in the middle of the Ten Commandments. And over and over again, not just in the Old Testament, as we'll see today, even in the New Testament. And when God renews the covenant with Moses in Exodus 34, we've read Exodus 20. But when God later on in the book of Exodus renews the covenant, he tells them again, he tells Moses that he's a jealous God. And God says it's actually an appropriate name to call me. Remember earlier when Moses goes, what what shall we call you? He goes, I am. But then later on, God's like, hey, you want a name? I'll give you a name. Jealous. Exodus 34, 14. For you shall worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. If you've ever come into contact with anyone who's jealous, and I said God is jealous, you're like, God's abusive? God's insecure? But we can't disconnect this attribute from God nor the name of God. Here's a great quote from a book called Godly Jealousy. We speak truly of God when we speak about him as he has spoken about himself. We speak truly of God when we speak about him as he has spoken about himself and he has told us that he is a jealous God. See, the, 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 the truest way I could speak about God to this church is the way that God has spoken of himself. And he said, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, what is God's jealousy? Let me start here by saying this. God's jealousy is different than the way we often experience jealousy. God's jealousy, like his love, like his justice, like his wrath, like his mercy, like his patience, like his kindness, is completely other. We're going to wrap up this series with God is holy. That means God is other. He's not like you. He's not a better version of you. God is not a cleaned up version of yourself. God doesn't just love better than you. He loves other than you. God is not just jealous like you're jealous. His jealousy is completely other. So God's not jealous like we experience jealousy. Often, our understanding of jealousy is, is primarily based on our experience of our, in our own lives and those around us, which is almost always swelled by sin and is always destructive. God's jealousy has no sin attached to it. God's jealousy has no sin attached to it whatsoever. Our jealousy has pride and weakness and envy attached to it. But God's jealousy has nothing of the sort. God's jealousy is God's love and holiness acting on your behalf. God's love is an emotion that drives him to action. And it's two things coming together. Two attributes. Two major attributes of God coming together. His love and his holiness. His I am a holy God and there is no other God but me. With I love you. And you won't find love or no love outside of me. And those two things collide and become the jealousy of God. God's jealousy is God's love and God's holiness acting out on our behalf. Godly jealousy, and let me make a note right here on the second point. Because this jealousy is righteous, you and I can experience godly jealousy. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, I have jealousy for you. I'm jealous for you with the godly jealousy. There is a godly jealousy, as we'll see. That's not the point of this sermon, but I I, I want it to be said that you actually can experience godly jealousy. Godly jealousy is a reaction to evil in a way that is morally right and loving. God's jealousy for us doesn't suspend his love. It's actually part of his love. 
Godly jealousy has to do with covenant love. See, I think oftentimes we confuse envy and jealousy, though they, they have some correlations, but they're different. Envy versus jealousy, they're, they're different. Envy is often mistaken for jealousy. However, envy is always evil. Envy is the desire to gain possession of something that is not currently possessed. Envy is the desire to gain a possession of something that is not currently possessed. You have something that I want and I hate you because I don't have it. That's envy. You see something that someone else, is, someone else wants, marriage, a family, a relationship, a job, a shirt, I don't know. It could be anything. I want it, oh, and I hate you because I don't have it. Sometimes it's, it's silly and playful. We're like, oh, I'm, I'm so envious of your whatever. But sometimes it begins with covetousness, but it starts expressing itself in envy. And then it manifests itself in malice. But jealousy is different. Jealousy is the desire to maintain exclusive devotion within a relationship in the face of a challenge to that exclusive devotion. Let me read that again. Nobody got that. (laughs) Let me read that again. Jealousy is the desire to maintain exclusive devotion within a relationship in the face of a challenge to that exclusive devotion. Jealousy is when you're connected to someone and something comes between you. And not just any relationship, a covenant relationship, and we'll unpack that in a second. This is why jealousy is almost always framed in the metaphors in Scripture as covenant relationships, marriage relationships, and sexual relations in the Bible. Whenever God talks about jealous love, the metaphors the Bible uses is marriage, sex, and covenant. Jealousy is actually seen as a sort of zeal to protect a love relationship or to avenge one when it's broken. Let me explain it to you like this. If you were married, imagine if you're not married. I know a lot of our church is not married, but imagine that you were, you were married. You're like, yeah, I do every day. Um, <laughs> or maybe let's say you are married. If you're married and... There's, there's been a breach in that relationship. Uh, uh, you're married, covenant. You, 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 you stood before witnesses and God and spent $50,000, you know, um, in a wedding to stand before each other and make vows, covenant to one another. I vow myself to you, my life, richer, poor, sickness, health, forsaking all others, being faithful to you as long as we both shall live. Those are vows. By the way, you're going to say that when you get married. Don't make up your vows like, oh, I'll make you breakfast. You'll break that vow. And you'll break your wedding vow. You don't want to break your wedding vow. You're going to vow things. I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to give my life to you. If someone intruded into that relationship, that covenant relationship with adultery or another emotional affair, if you were not jealous as the spouse who was being, quote, cheated on, if you're not jealous you're lacking some moral perception. If you're like, it's all good. It's 2012. I mean, if that's what you think, you're messed up. Something's wrong morally in your heart, in your mind. If some love intruder comes in and you're not jealous for your spouse, something's wrong. 
That's godly jealousy. This is why the Bible frames it this way. Jealousy is actually a very emotional side of God. Very emotional. Love is completely an action that God does. Not, love is not simply, an, love is an action of God. Jealousy is a, is a very raw emotion of God. It's the kind of jealousy that the scriptures have in view when it talks about God being jealous. God's covenant with Israel and the church is seen as a marriage. We are the bride of Christ. Israel was married to God. People married to God in covenant relationship with God. That's the metaphor that the Bible uses. And a marriage, a covenant relationship was an exclusive relationship. Let me explain what I mean in our second point. What is the point of jealousy? There are three ingredients. There are There are certain things that must happen, requirements that must be present for jealousy to be present. And they are these. These must be in place for jealousy to even take, take, these are the framework of jealousy. You need a lover, you need a beloved, and you need a rival. For there to be jealousy, you need a lover. You need a beloved, and you need a rival. If you have a lover and a beloved, you you don't have jealousy. That's just all love right? Beloved, love, like this, all love. But once you get a rival in there, that's when jealousy happens. You need a lover, one who cares and initiates and sacrifices and gives themselves in, themselves in love. But you also need a beloved, one who's being loved, taking in all that love and responding with fidelity. But you also need a rival, something Someone stealing away the heart of the beloved. Stealing away their priority to love, their priority of time, affection, and ultimately leading to infidelity. For jealousy to even be possible, you have to at least have these ingredients present. So this is what this means. Because God is jealous, that means that he's a lover. Who's the lover? God. God loves us. Who's the beloved? We are. We are beloved of God. Jeremiah 31 says that God has loved us with an everlasting love. This love was displayed and embodied and exemplified in Jesus Christ, giving himself for us. God loves us. So the fact that jealousy is even a part of God means this, that he's a lover, that we're loved, but also means that we have rivals. It also means there are things in this world that want to pull you away from the love of God. There are things in this world, Satan obviously being the, the epitome, the, the exemplar of, of these things. The world does the same thing. Riches, um, Jesus tells a parable about um, uh, the parable of the seeds. He says the seed of the word is scattered. And some of it falls on some soil. And then the birds of the air pick it away. And he was saying what happens is the cares of the word, the world start to pull away the word of God. Rivals. You walk out of this place and you have the worry of work and the worry of providing for yourself and the worry of relationships and all these cares of the world and they go in they start rival they want they want to they want to come in between the love that God has for you and your love for him God loves you you are beloved but there are rivals and the, and, and the, the rivalry can be any idol this is where the love of God gets a bit gritty I mean, the love of God, like we, we painted it last week, and I mean, it could be really good. Like I talk about the love of God, and it could be somewhat um, very brilliant colors. It's beautiful, maybe all primary colors, you know, like, I don't know, I'm not really an artist, but so, you know. 
But the jealousy of God, where it gets, where it gets a bit gritty, it gets a little pixelated, it gets a little darker. Because you might have entered into a relationship with God, and you might not have known this, but, but he's told us this, so it's not on, you, not on him. And he said, he led in with this, I'm a jealous lover. I don't want anything to come between our relationship. That's kind of what you're saying at your, your wedding day. You know that, right? I don't want anything to come between us. It's why you stand with your back facing everyone in a wedding. Because you said, I've turned my back on everything and I'm exclusively for this one. My life is for your life. That's marriage. Some of you guys are really freaked out right now. Okay, well, that's, this is not a marriage talk, so don't worry. We'll get to that in a second. God's love for us demands love back. A love that demands not only fidelity, but priority. And not because he's insecure. John Piper is a, um, a fire, he's a preacher. He's a, he's a fire, he's a small man. And he's just a fire, he, ha, he stands behind this giant pulpit and his arms are just going everywhere. He's just a little man and he's just a fire, he just kind of spits a lot when he preaches. He's a great, wonderful communicator. And this is what he said about God's jealousy. I can't say it like him, so I'll just read it. God is not jealous like an insecure employer who fears that his employees might get lured away by a better salary somewhere else. God's jealousy is not the reflex of weakness or fear. Instead, God is jealous like a powerful and merciful king who takes a peasant girl from a life of shame, forgives her, marries her, gives her not the chores of a slave, but the privileges of a wife, a queen. His jealousy does not rise from fear or weakness, but of a holy indignation at having his honor and power and mercy scorned by the faithlessness of a fickle spouse. That's the jealousy of God. It's not like God's like, oh my gosh, I'm afraid you're going to find a better God than me. God's not afraid of you going to find another God that's better. There is no one like God. He is the Lord and there is no other. Every other religious idea or system has you reaching out to God. You ascending Buddhism's eightfold path or Islam's five pillars of conduct to enlightenment, to nirvana, to the deepest self which brings freedom. And we know all that's All of that is going towards God. You can't do it. Christianity is God coming down because we could never, if God is truly holy and other, we can never reach him. He has to reach us. That's love. You won't find love like this anywhere else. The jealousy of God is not insecurity. It's not fear-based. It's not weakness. The best one-sentence definition of the jealousy of God can be said like this. At its core, jealousy is an emotion based on a perceived infidelity to covenant exclusivity. You entered into a covenant with God. When you began to follow God, you entered into a covenant with Him. And when anything gets in between that relationship, God is provoked to jealousy. See, when God loves us, he pulls us into covenant with himself. And that covenant is exclusive, meaning you shall have no other gods before me. God wants priority. You need to hear, I, I know that sometimes we kind of get wrapped up in God is love and he loves me and I, you know, I fall and I sin, but whatever, but God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. That is true, but we can't have an unbalanced view of who God is. God is love, but he's a jealous lover. 
God wants nothing to come between. God wants complete priority. He wants complete exclusivity in this relationships. See, marriage is, if you're married, you know this to be true. If you're not, you need to write this down. Marriages only really work when they remain the priority over everything else. When the marriage remains, that spouse remains the priority over career, over extracurricular activities, over goals, over money, even over other friends. And that spouse needs to know that. Marriages only really thrive when, when both parties that are married realize, I'm exclusively for you, you're exclusively for me. And not just of other people, sexually, but you're not more important, you're more important than my career. You're more important than my goals. You're more important than money. You're more important than, when that gets out of whack, you feel it in your marriage. There have been times in my marriage when something in Ashley's life or in my life takes priority to that exclusive love. And I'm not talking about an extramarital affair or having an emotional affair. I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm just talking about subtle erosions of priorities. When that happens in marriage, you feel it. And things can erode in your marriage. In the same way, God wants priority in our lives. Did you know that, that God wants priority? And you know that anything, anything can be deemed as a little God. Anything can be deemed as an idol, any good thing. Martin Luther, in his trustees on good works, wrote that the Ten Commandments begin with a commandment against idolatry. You know why? You know why the Ten Commandments starts with no idolatry? Martin Luther says, because the fundamental motivation behind law-breaking is idolatry. He says, you never break the other commandments without first breaking the first commandment. You never break, thou shalt not lie, sexual immorality, adultery, steal. You'll never break one of those commandments without first getting through the first one. You'll never lie or commit sexual immorality unless you feel there's something that you must have to be happy. Something more important to your heart than God himself. And you've made that more important than God. And you have made that thing to be a God. And I'm not just talking about obedience here. I'm not talking about, okay, what do I have to do to obey God so that he gives me everything I want? I'm talking about love. Something you love more than God. Jesus said that the essence of the Ten Commandments, oh, actually the essence of all the commandments is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. It's about love. When we lie, we, won't, we wouldn't lie unless we first love something more than God. Like human approval or our reputation. We lie because we love something else more than God. I love my reputation more than you. I love my approval of man more than you, God, so I'll lie. See, God doesn't just want us to serve him, come to church, obey him when it seems right to you. He wants you to love him. God says, if there's anything that brings you more hope than me, anything that brings you more joy than me, anything that you look on to for salvation, functional salvation over me, you're provoking my jealousy. I'm a jealous lover. This actually completely reframes the conversation of spiritual disciplines. We talked about this like three weeks ago when we talked about we are a theological community. 
spiritual disciplines, when we pray and we spend time with God, that's all reframed. It's not just a good idea to spend time with God. It's not just good for your soul, though it is. This is what God requires in your relationship with him. When we choose work over prayer, when we wake up in the morning, we're like, first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to check my email, I'm going to work. We choose that over time with God. When we choose pleasures over prayer, opportunities over prayer, it's called, in the New Testament, spiritual adultery. James. Have you read, read James? If you want someone just to wake you up and slap you in the face in the morning, read James. I'm like, oh, gosh, okay, I'm going to live differently today. James 4. This is what James says in James chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it, is it not this? That your passions, that word just means pleasures, your passions, your pleasures are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. That's prayer. Stop. Don't look at the screens. I know you guys are all overachievers and reading ahead. Look at me. He just connects it to prayer. You know why? You know why you keep it? Because you don't pray. Yeah, are you praying? You're like, yeah, I'm praying. Okay, then next sentence. You pray and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. Stop there again. This is about relationship. When we pray, this is how we make our prayers. It's got to have three things I need. I need sun today because it's been foggy for like four years. <laughs> I need muni not to be full or broke down. And I need you to really help me on my, that, that, that thing at work, that pitch or that, that goal or whatever it is. Okay? In Jesus' name, whatever, amen. That's what we do. It's not about getting to know God. It's not about like, God, I want to know you. I, can you imagine being married to someone that wakes up like, hey, I have three things for you today? like hi what about hi what about a hug what about love I mean, three things who can live like that and this is what we do with god we're like god three things three things i need when we okay we do pray okay i'll give it to you. we pray but this is how we pray god just stuff i need stuff and so we try to pray for stuff for someone else we're like okay i won't pray for me i'll pray for them they need stuff like isn't that just the same thing like when we pray it's not like god just you like, you know what I need. I can confess that to you, and I can let you know my heart, but God, I want you. You. You're a jealous lover. You love me with this love that's purified me, made me whole, and, and completely transformed me, and I'm going to go after all these things? And then it goes on. You ask these things in prayer to spend on your own passions. You adulterous people. What James is connecting this to is the book of Hosea. He's saying, and I don't want to be too graphic, but he's calling us whores. You whore. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is no purpose that the scripture says He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell with us. Do you think it says in vain? Do you think God was making it up in the Ten Commandments that he's a jealous God? 
God has taken you and washed you and cleansed you and purified you and married himself to you and given you everything that you need and you go out whoring. We need this sentence badly. This next sentence. But he gives more grace. Someone say amen. We need more grace. There is no one that reads that sentence and feels good in this, in this church. I, I, am, I don't feel good. No one reads that and goes, not me. I'm legit. Like, I, no other gods. No one says that. The most conservative place in Texas can't, no one can say that. Especially not here. But he gives more grace. You need to know that, that he gives more grace. But this is what he wants from us. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud. There's some of us in here who's like, whatever. That doesn't need my love. But he gives grace to the humble. Those that say, I might not really even understand the jealousy of God, but I want to experience it. See, God wants our heart. The point is this. We need to make God first. If we were honest, we all have this deep problem with commitment. Whether it's, it's make, in making a commitment or keeping a commitment where we all have commitment issues. But when we commit to God, we commit to God, period. We enter into covenant relationship with him and God is first, he is priority. And we need to make him a priority in our hearts. And not just for the sake of getting what we want, for the sake of love. That we can truly say we love God. But lastly, the power of jealousy. Let's look at the power of it. The power of it, I believe, can be seen in the book of Hosea. If you've not read the book of Hosea, it's in the Old Testament. It's considered a minor prophet, though it is fairly long, but it's still considered a, 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 a smaller of the prophets. Basically, what was going on in the time of Hosea is Israel was leaving God. And Israel leaving God is adultery. It's, spirit, it's a spiritual parable. And what God does is he asks this man, Hosea, he says, Hosea, I want, you to, I want you to live out what I'm feeling. I want you to experience what I'm feeling, but I want you to feel it for the nation because they don't get it. So this is what I want you to do, Hosea. I want you to fall in love with a prostitute. I want you to marry her, and then she's going to be a whore, and she's going to sleep with all these other people and get pregnant with all these other people. You know why? It's exactly what Israel did to me. They were prostitutes. I delivered them from Egypt. I delivered them from slavery. I freed them. By grace, I didn't ask anything. I freed them. They wanted to enter in a relationship with me. They said, yes, we will do these things. And they've gone after other gods. So it says in Hosea chapter 1, the Lord said to Hosea, go and take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. What, what, what Hosea is about, it, he, God wants us to feel what he's feeling. What was happening in Hosea was a microcosm of what was happening in the nation. A wife whoring herself out to other men, a nation whoring itself out to other gods, and God puts Hosea in his shoes, and he marries this woman named Gomer. God is showing Hosea how he is a jealous lover, but what he also shows Hosea is that he is a committed lover. Because Hosea takes Gomer back again and again and again and actually goes looking for her. But you see the power of it in Hosea chapter 3. It says, 
And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. That's so weird. so weird. Um, But look at this next verse. It's very important. So I bought her. That's not, that doesn't, that points to something. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver. Verse 3, and I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so I will also be to you. For the children of Israel dwell many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterwards, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in to fear the Lord and and do his goodness in the latter days. You know why Hosea had to go by Gomer, because she sold herself to a man. Hosea had to go buy his wife out of slavery. God's jealousy is consistently and constantly presented as a motive to action. You, we, me, we've sold ourselves to all these false gods, these false lovers. And God, under his perfect love and and his wrath meeting together in jealousy, has bought us back. What we need to know, what you need to know, and this is what I want you to know personally, God is jealous for you. Look, Look at me. God is jealous for you. When Satan, when the world, when just these pressures are trying to pull you away and destroy you, God's like, no, I love this person. You need to hear, you need to know that God loves you with a jealous love, not just like a love that I forgive you, I love you, but like, I love you so much that anything that would come in and want to destroy you, I hate it. And I'm opposed to it. This love is a protective love. This love is a is a redemptive love. This love destroys idols. It protects us. It guides us. It restores us. This love of God that's jealous is the blending of his love and his wrath, his justice and his mercy. And it's ultimately displayed in Jesus Christ who bought us. Not with, not with shekels of silver, not with grain and wine, but with his precious blood. He purchased for himself a people. And he loves you with a jealous love. And what needs to happen is all our idols, all our vain pursuits, all our, when we make all these things that are good to be the ultimate things in our life and they distract us from knowing God, those things need to be brought in the presence of God and they need to fall down. See, idols can dwell with each other. And the Bible talks about Graven images of wood and stone, and, and they can all live together. But these idols can't stand before God. You bring the presence of God in, they fall down. So, having this Old Testament story with Dagon, this half man, half fish God, 
They just like, we don't have anywhere to store the ark of the Lord, which we just stole from Israel. Let's put them in Dagon's temple, and they willed it in. And they go, in the morning, they wake up, and the Dagon's just like, it's an idol, by the way. A statue, just bowing down. The, the statue fell down before God, the ark of God. This one needs to happen. I'm not asking you to go, okay, it's my laptop. My laptop's what's keeping me, because I'm going to throw out the window. No, I'm just, uh, calm down. What I want you to do is I want you to bring whatever that is. It could be the most glorious thing. I want you to just bring it into the presence of God. It might be through prayer. It might be in the lines of communion. Like, Lord, here's this. Here's this stuff that's getting between. You know what it is. I believe that the Holy Spirit of God is like, your mind, your heart. You might, there might be things that are coming to your mind, and you need to listen to that. That's God's Spirit. It's like, this, this, there's this and this. And they're great things. You're like, well, it can't be that because that's a good thing. No, bring that into the presence of God. God, that is getting in between my relationship with you, and I want to submit it to you. I confess that to you, God, and may you take priority over it. That's what we need to do. That's why we have carpets here to respond to God by kneeling. Just God, we, we need to experience this, guys. God loves us with a jealous love. How we respond to that is through our devotion to God, our priority of God, and how God responds to that He keeps pursuing us. He keeps loving us. This love is a perfect love. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I pray. I pray for this church, those that have gathered this morning. I ask that you would show us this love, that you would, maybe our our minds can't wrap around it, God. Maybe we still have many questions. And that's okay. I pray that a moment in your presence would answer a lifetime of questions right now. I pray that in faith. I know there are people that need to experience you, experience this love. As we sing of this love, as we respond to this love through communion, as we bring our idols before you and may they fall down, may the priority of them be bumped way down and may you be worshiped above everything. In Jesus' name, amen.